Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. The anti-Messiah is more important this week than the 1,000 new settler homes approved in Israel, the loosening of gun laws to allow 500,000 more Israelis to carry guns, and a boss calling for the UN to come expel Israel from the land. The Iranians are threatening the U.S. and Israel over Trump's desire to pressure Iran to change its behavior, but some events among the brethren may be pointing to the increased probability of the anti-Messiah showing up sooner than later. The Jewish nation-state bill and their conversion agenda may be harbingers of his arrival. I continue to hear from people who know believers that now deny Yeshua to convert to Judaism. This is happening all over the United States, Canada, and even some from South Africa. The anti-Messiah spirit is becoming stronger among believers because he may be about to be revealed and you need to know what to look for. There is a detail that is right in the scripture to help you identify the imposter from the genealogies of Matthew and Luke. The two genealogies of Matthew and Luke are there to establish Yeshua as the Davidic heir to the throne. But they also reveal something about the anti-Messiah. This detail has to do with the fact that the two lists don't match each other, nor genealogies from the Tanakh. Atheists and Jewish anti-missionaries use these disparities to prove the New Testament is a lie. But they have missed the point because even the Tanakh is also full of genealogical disparities from book to book. The various authors use the genealogies to make legal or spiritual points. However, that is for another discussion. What is the point of the New Testament genealogies? Well, let's take a look. Matthew traces the line of descent through David's son Solomon, while Luke traces it through David's son Nathan. People have presented many theories for the variations and the fact that neither genealogy matches the Tanakh genealogy also perplexes them. But the solution is that Mary's genealogy establishes her as a descendant of Nathan in Luke 3.23 in accordance with the very first messianic prophecy found in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And it shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first messianic prophecy. Note that the Messiah will come through the woman's seed, not a man's. The Messiah will be the king of Israel through the woman, a specific woman. Traditionally, 
Kings never succeed the throne through their mothers. Yet Yahweh said the Messiah and coming king of the restored Israel would come through a specific woman. The reign of kings through succession via their sons is actually not scriptural anyway as you will see in a moment. Matthew's genealogy of Joseph's line is only there to show the end of Solomon's line. To show that Yeshua, Yahweh, put a stop to Solomon's lineage. Not to extend it or prove Yeshua is the king of Israel through it. Yeshua's succession through Solomon would have him be only a man, but not God in the flesh. It is only through Mary that Yeshua can be known as God in the flesh. This makes Luke's Mary genealogy more important for us at this time because understanding it will help us not get caught up with the coming anti-Messiah. There is more to becoming king in Israel than either Judaism or Christianity recognize. God established the commandment regarding who could rule as king in Israel. Deuteronomy 17:14 and 15. When you come to the land the Lord your God is giving you and take it over and live in it and then say, I will select a king like all the nations surrounding me, you must select without fail a king whom the Lord your God chooses. From among your fellow citizens you must appoint a king. You may not designate a foreigner who is not one of your fellow Israelites. According to Yahweh, anyone he chooses can be made king over Israel. In fact, Yahweh made two lines of kings in Israel, starting with Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Yahweh had the legal right to have two king lines in Israel because he made the rule. And Yahweh must allow sons to succeed their father on their thrones. And it is Yahweh who puts the end to kingly lineages both in the house of Israel and the house of Judah. However, Yahweh promised King David that his throne would be established forever as the sign of the salt covenant made between them. Remember this. It is David's throne that will be established forever, not Solomon's. Second Chronicles 13.5 says, don't you realize that the Lord God of Israel has given David and his dynasty lasting dominion over Israel by a formal agreement? David was from the tribe of Judah. Therefore, God had decided that only one from Judah could establish David's throne forever. This is in accordance with the Genesis 49.10 prophecy that says Judah will rule until Messiah comes to the world through Judah. Other later prophecies also established that the Messiah will be from the tribe of Judah. 
God further told David in Second Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 to 16, When the time comes for you to die, I will raise up your descendant, one of your own sons, to succeed you, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will make his dynasty permanent. I will become his father, and he will become my son. When he sins, I will correct him with the rod of men and with wounds inflicted by human beings. But my loyal love will not be removed from him as I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will stand before me permanently. Your dynasty will be permanent. Jewish and Christian theology both claim the recipient of this promise is Solomon. However, Solomon cannot be the recipient of this promise because one, he was never beaten with a rod or striped during his lifetime and two, Yahweh withdrew his loyalty from Solomon. This scripture refers to Yeshua who took on our iniquity and was beaten and scourged for it. God's love and loyalty was never removed from Yeshua as it was from Solomon. Also, Solomon built a house for Yahweh, but it was destroyed twice. Yahweh's house has yet to be established forever, never to be destroyed again. Only the coming Messiah will accomplish this. Therefore, the house Solomon built for Yahweh did not establish Solomon's throne or lineage forever. Yahweh did not punish Solomon at all during his lifetime, as this prophecy says the Son of God would be punished. It wasn't until after his death, when the kingdom was in Rehoboam's hand, that God destroyed Solomon's reign first through ripping ten tribes from Rehoboam's hand. See 1 Kings 11:29 to 31 Yahweh ripped Solomon's kingdom from him a second time. In Jeremiah 22, verses 25 to 30, when he told Jeremiah to register King Jeconiah as childless, meaning that none of Jeconiah's sons would be king. Jeconiah was the last sovereign king of Judah, even though his grandson presided over the rebuilding of Solomon's temple. Yet, Yahweh told David that Solomon would be set on his throne for a specific purpose, which was to build the temple. 1 Chronicles 28.6 But the continuation of Solomon's descendants on the throne was conditional. 1 Chronicles 28.7 says, I will establish his kingdom permanently if... There's that little two-letter conditional word, if he remains committed to obeying my commands and regulations as you are doing this day. The reason Solomon's line is now extinct is simple. 
Solomon fell away. He began to practice unrighteousness and led Israel into idolatry. Today, I'm talking to you about the great falling away, which has everything to do with the coming anti-Messiah who comes from Solomon's line. The coming anti-Messiah will be related to Solomon and will do exactly what his ancestor Solomon did. Consider that should Yahweh establish the coming kingdom on Solomon's line, he would be establishing his kingdom on unrighteousness, sin, and abomination. Yahweh declared that Solomon's line is not fit to rule by ripping away ten tribes from Rehoboam and then ending the Solomonic dynasty with Jeconiah. So, if not David's son Solomon, which son? One we know almost nothing about. That son is Nathan. He is in Mary's ancestral line. Nathan is the fourth son of David and Bathsheba. Nathan's place in their family is the fourth son. Four is the number of Messiah, but also Judah is the fourth son of Jacob. Mary's genealogy plainly shows that the true king of Israel is Yeshua. He is the rightful righteous heir through the fourth son that replaced Solomon, just like Judah, the fourth son who replaced Reuben. Only Yeshua is the Son of God that remained righteous. Furthermore, the language Yahweh used in Deuteronomy 17.15 where he said he would raise someone from among the brethren to be king of Israel is the same language Yahweh used to tell the Israelites about the coming prophet that the Jews were expecting in the first century. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up to you a prophet from the midst of you, of your brethren, like me, Yahweh, to him you will listen. And verse 18 says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like you, Moses, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I shall command him. The prophet of God and the king of God are the same person. God raises up from you, people the prophet and the king and God raises one like himself to be the prophet and the king the righteous king comes establishing the law of Moses this is the job of both the king and the prophet Now that you know who the true Messiah is, let me tell you who the anti-Messiah is. The coming anti-Messiah will claim to be from the line of Solomon. 
the Jews are looking for the restoration of David's throne through a descendant of Solomon. But the coming anti-Messiah will destroy all of Yahweh's plans through unrighteousness just like Solomon. Now I believe this man will also satisfy the Shiite Iranians who are looking for the Mahdi as well as Jews and Christians who are both looking for a king from the line of Solomon. This man's claim to Solomon's line will be the mechanism through which he will declare peace. It is interesting that only recently the Iranians ruled that Jews can hold public office in Iran. Now let me tell you how the anti-Messiah spirit is already deceiving believers. The great falling away is happening right now and it has to do with conversion to Judaism, to believing in Solomon's coming anti-Messiah instead of Yahweh's Yeshua, the Messiah. The Jews who are looking for Solomon's end time successor have worldwide conversion rings with rabbis trained in how to convince non-Jews to convert to Judaism. One of the complaints against Yeshua by Jewish anti-missionaries is that he did not fulfill their messianic expectations. I made a short video about this. Modern Judaism dismisses the prophecies of Messiah ben Yosef, the suffering servant who suffered and died to bring back the house of Israel as a step in the restoration of all Israel. The only Messiah recognized by Judaism today is Messiah ben David. Since Yeshua has not returned to finish the restoration of all Israel as Messiah ben David yet, the Jews have succeeded in maintaining their blindness by denying Yeshua's Messiah ben Yosef mission. The Jews are expecting a descendant of Solomon to be their Jewish Messiah, the one who will keep everyone out of Israel who is not an Orthodox Jew. But the Jewish Messiah of Solomon's line is not the correct Messiah. He is the anti-Messiah. He will not fulfill the restoration of all 12 tribes. In fact, he will come with the king of the north to conquer Israel, which is why I believe he will be an Iranian Jew, a descendant that remained behind after Cyrus let the Jews return to Israel. Being from the line of Solomon will establish current political Israel under his rulership and Christians will believe he is the Messiah too. Shiite Muslims will accept this Persian Solomonic descendant, but soon Christians and Sunni Muslims will be persecuted and killed by this Iranian Shiite son of Solomon, and ultimately the Jews will suffer under this man. This will cause all Christians, Jews, and many Muslims 
to turn from him. I have just shown you why any man declaring himself from the line of Solomon is the false messiah. Solomon's line is extinct because of his sins. So, remember this when the anti-messiah stands on Temple Mount declaring his lineage which is very important in Judaism, and says he is a descendant of Solomon. But for now, in the time before the anti-Messiah's arrival, Hebrew roots believers are especially susceptible to the Jewish spirit of the son of Solomon through anti-missionaries and conversion rings. Hebrew roots believers are a new phenomenon on the earth, unlike Messianic Jews who have existed since the first century. Hebrew roots is the beginning of the fulfillment of Moses' Deuteronomy 30 prophecy in a way that the Jewish diaspora is not, because Torah keeping is new to us, whereas it is not new with the Jews. Hebrew roots is between two worlds, as one friend tells me. We are no longer Christians, and we are not Jews. We still have Yeshua, but we have no tribe. Most of us are committed to obeying all of the commandments that we can, while others become Noahides, keeping only the seven laws of Noah. Noahides have submitted themselves to Judaism since the Noahide laws are not listed anywhere in scripture but are prescribed for Gentiles in Jewish theology. This is a doctrine of Judaism. So, insofar as some have not converted to Judaism, they still are submitted to this Jewish doctrine. Judaism tries to prevent us Hebrew roots people from keeping the Torah. One way they do this is through their law that says Gentiles who keep the Sabbath are subject to death. Jews believe Christians are Gentiles and the Torah belongs only to the Jews. For those Hebrew roots believers who understand there are blessings and cursings for obeying and disobeying the Torah and who also know the truth that we are Israel and probably from all the other scattered tribes. It is heartbreaking to find out that the Jews want to kill us for keeping Shabbat. Christianity agrees with Judaism in that it teaches that Christians are Gentile believers rather than Hebrews as their father Abraham was. And we don't need to be keeping Shabbat but Sunday. And Christians call themselves Gentile believers in accord with Christian and Jewish doctrine rather than the seed of Abraham and Hebrews or Israelites. Either way, being a non-Jewish believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob makes us a prey to Jewish killer anti-missionaries who regard us as low-hanging fruit ripe for the picking. Now let me share with you a little bit of a conversation I had this week with a Jewish convert 
Ovadia Avrahami, to prove my point. I have known Ovadia for several years and have had to fight his conversion attempts repeatedly. I am adamantly against Ovadia's teaching which says the rejection of Judaism and its rabbinical leadership is in direct violation of the declarations of the God of Israel according to which Judah is the judicial authority of Hashem on earth. Judah is the sole representative of the kingdom of Hashem on earth. The rabbinical leadership is the divinely authorized teacher of the Torah of Hashem. This comes directly from his website, which I refuse to link to because of their blatant conversion agenda. Ovadia says the Jews are the lawgivers of God's kingdom. The Talmud does in fact say that the rabbis decree and even God obeys. You can read about that using the links in the article. This kind of hubris is nothing but usurping Yahweh's authority over Israel in the same way the Catholic Pope usurps God's authority over Israel. The truth is God is the lawgiver. The Levites are the administrators and it is the Jewish king's job to protect Israel the way Yahweh did starting with Abraham. The authority to make decrees and to teach was reserved for the priests and judges only in Deuteronomy 17 verses 8 to 13. Israel's kings were required to submit to the priests and judges as much as the people. The Bible nowhere says the rabbis or their rabbinic decrees are required or even desired. They are no more divinely authorized to lead others than any other religious teacher on earth, including those from other religions. In fact, Yeshua said the rabbis were blind men leading the blind. Anyway, Ovadia and I go round and round. Here is this week's latest attempt to sneak me and my unconverted friends from Aqaba into Judaism. On Sunday, August 20th, Ovadia messaged me on Facebook and he said, Just a feeler question. Do you think the people using Jordan as an interim stage would be interested in locating to a kibbutz system for Ephraimites run by the government in Israel with special permission for them? I answered, only if the Israeli government will accept us with Yeshua. There will never be discussion or any consideration of conversion to Judaism ever. To which Ovadia replied, Wow, 
That says it all. No book needed to explain. So, yous don't accept the God of Israel. You'd better start building a country and a nation somewhere else and find a house of Judah to be joined to where you can serve this other God of yours. Ovadia and Rabbi Avraham Feld wrote a book a few years ago titled Jewish Secrets in the New Testament. I had them on the Cup of Hebrews show on Hebrew Nation Radio for an interview. What I did not know at the time was they wrote the book as a way to show Hebrew Roots believers that all things are Jewish anyway, so why not just convert to Judaism? Now, they don't say this in the book. Their tactic is to get you interested in their book, then get you to their guest house in Carne Shomron, where they then have you trapped, and they will try to force you to agree with their twisted Jewish doctrine. If you are not prepared to answer why you believe Yeshua is the Messiah, you will fall for it, as many have, including my own friends from Aqaba, the Parhams, Wyatts, and others. This book was only one among several, including 26 Reasons Jews Don't Believe in Jesus by Asher Norman and Tovia Singer's books, Let's Get Biblical. Along the way, I met another Jewish couple, Elan and Rivka Lambert-Adler. She was a nervous wreck the first time we met in person until I had answered her question of whether I intended to try to convert her to belief in Yeshua. I told her no, but it didn't occur to me to ask her the same question. It wasn't until the following year, while visiting with her at her home in Mali Adumim, that she put two books in my hands that I didn't ask for but accepted because she said they would help me understand why Jews don't believe in Jesus. The books were Tovia Singer's two-volume set of Let's Get Biblical. I didn't have to read more than a half a page to realize Tovia was lying about the New Testament. He started out by taking a Matthew scripture out of context and giving a meaning for it that was twisted and irrelevant. This same method is used by Asher Norman, taking a scripture out of context, then proving it with another Torah scripture taken out of context and twisted. It was through Rivka Adler that my newly converted friends from Aqaba found themselves in possession of Asher Norman's anti-missionary book. There was a backlash from my former friends when I suggested the Adlers had a Judaism conversion agenda. However, my former Aqaba friends have rented apartments near the Adlers in Malay Adamim, according to reports that I've been given, and will probably attend the same synagogue as the Adlers. 
The worst part is that I helped Rivka Adler by writing a chapter in her book, Ten from the Nations, and encouraged her to set up the Torah School for the Nations, and even invited them to visit and speak with our own fellowship while in Jerusalem. The book and school have now become conversion tools. Beware! And here is what Yeshua says about converting to Judaism. And yes, he had something to say about that. Matthew 23:15. Woe to you, experts in the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites! You cross land and sea to make one convert. And when you get one... You make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Judaism has a history of forced conversions from thousands of years ago. I've written about this a lot. The conversion issue between the two houses is just a spiritual form of the 2,900-year-old civil war of the kingdom of Israel. The issue between Israel and the Palestinians is the continuation of the civil war on the physical level. Like Yeshua, I love the Jews. They are my brethren. But, like Yeshua... I am calling them to get on board with Yahweh's kingdom instead of their own separate nation. All that said, let's not be wary or afraid of every Jewish person. I still have Jewish friends. However, you need to be aware that certain Jews have an agenda for befriending you. Others are aware of our differences, but still lovingly accept us the way we do them. Here are some tips on the International Rabbinic Conversion Ring and some of its converts. First, the converts. Among the former brethren from Aqaba who have converted to Judaism are Bob and Val Parham. Valerie was a teacher on Hebrew Nation Radio. Her show was Our Cup and Portion. John and Sue Wyatt and their son Matthew, Beverly Lewis, and possibly Lynn Bird. They have denied Yeshua and rejected the New Testament completely. Another Aqaba friend, Kobus Geldenheis and his wife Morena from South Africa are doing the same. Kellen Davison of Canada and his wife Jenny. His family is joyously converting to Orthodox Judaism according to his chapter in Dr. Rivka Lambert Adler's book, Ten from the Nations, Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews. These people are personally known to me. I have known others in the past, but no longer have information about them to provide to you. You may be wondering why I have given their names here. This is why 
Romans 16, 17, and 18. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create dissension and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, for these are the kind that do not serve our Lord Messiah, but their own appetites. By their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. The King James says to mark the troublemakers. Well, troublemakers cannot be marked or watched out for unless the person who knows who they are tells you. Ovadia Avrahami, Rabbi Avraham Feld, Elan Adler, Rivka Lambert Adler, work out of Jerusalem and Galilee areas. Either Ovadia Avrahami or Rabbi Feld appear at functions involving Hebrew Roots believers, such as at the Adler's Torah School for the Nations and at her book signing, Ten from the Nations, Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews. I have seen them at many conferences held by other Hebrew Roots leaders while in Israel. Tobia Singer and Asher Norman live and work in America, but their books are sold internationally. Stay tuned, I'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Kimberly Rogers Brown thanking you for listening to the Jerusalem Report produced by BeastWatchNews.com and asking you to send your support. A donation of any size to BeastWatchNews.com. It costs money to run ministries, to teach the word, interpret the prophecies, and to keep websites online. Trust me, we sure do appreciate it. And remember, you can read the transcript of today's broadcast under the Jerusalem Report at BeastWatchNews.com Join Pete Rambo and Kimberly Rogers Brown in Jerusalem for the Feast of Sukkot. 16 nights for only $825. Offer includes breakfast and dinner. Does not include airfare, other transportation, or lunch. Present yourself before the eyes and heart of the King in Jerusalem. Go to aniyosef.com for details. A-N-I-Y-O-S-E-F.com. See you this year in Jerusalem and stay tuned for details on the upcoming Jerusalem tour. Such a deal. Join the Rambo and Brown Jerusalem Tour at Sukkot 2018 for only $199 for three days or $74 a day for a single day in case you can't attend all three days. We will visit the important sites in Jerusalem Old City plus Mount Herzl and Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. You will see amazing archaeological evidence of Jerusalem and Temple Mount going back thousands of years. This year in Jerusalem... Now, some news. Sovereignty or partial annexation? Trump hasn't spoke about his Israeli-Palestinian peace plan for several months. But this week, he made one controversial statement that sparked a small fire between Israelis and Palestinians again. Trump said... In the negotiation, Israel will have to pay a higher price because they want a very big thing. But I took it off the table. There's nothing to negotiate, but the Palestinians will get something very good because it's their turn next. Trump's statements got extensive media coverage from both sides. 
Israeli politicians took exception with Trump's statement that Israel will have to pay a heavy price, while Palestinian officials rebuked Trump for stating he has taken Jerusalem off the negotiating table. For this reaction, it could be said that neither side wants peace and both sides want everything. It is Judah's right to have sovereign rule from Jerusalem over all Israel. But it is also the twelve tribes' scriptural right to have full and equal citizenship in their given tribal territories. Neither people are willing to share Abraham's inheritance. For this to happen, Israel must become a sovereign nation, not a patsy of the UN, US, EU, or any other country, and it must accept its role to rule over all of Jacob's Israel, not just those who follow Judaism or have physical roots in one of the four tribes of the southern house of Israel. Some Jews in Israel, though, understand that it is time for this political state to become sovereign. Yahudit Katsover and Nadia Matar established the group called Women in Green. What is their goal? In a word, sovereignty. They want sovereignty to prevent an expulsion like the 2005 Gaza pullout. Sovereignty, in their perception, will make it clear to every Palestinian boy and girl born into the occupation that the land of Israel is ours, quote-unquote, meaning not theirs. This is the thrust of Judaism's messianic belief. The Jewish Messiah will make Israel a Jewish-only nation with no room for the house of Israel or any Gentiles who want to attach themselves to Yahweh through the Abrahamic covenant. Matar says the Palestinians harbor the hope that one day they will succeed in taking Judea and Samaria and establishing a state for themselves and afterward Tel Aviv and all the rest. She adds, Israel is cultivating that hope. For 51 years, a question mark has hung over this territory because Israel hasn't decided what it wants. But if Israel doesn't say it's hers, others say we will take it or that we're occupiers. That's how the world understands it. We have to put a stop to it. The application of sovereignty will make the picture clear to Palestinian young people. My friend, you're invited to live here in the state of Israel, but you won't have a state here. There will be a bit of a crisis at first, but when all this becomes clear to them, it'll be good, she says. As I have said in previous broadcasts, no matter what Israel does with this problem, there will be war. If Israel acts righteously to include all who want to live in the land without forcing conversion, Yahweh will protect them. 
if Israel fails to follow the scriptural authority in this matter, he will punish them, the house of Israel, and the world before forcing and enforcing the Torah on the earth from Zion. In short, Yahweh will have peace on the earth one way or the other, and his peace starts with his own houses of Judah and Israel. Katsover and Matar aren't alone. The sovereignty dialogue is gaining pace in Israel. So now is the time to examine what the proponents of sovereignty mean when they talk about it. Katsover and Matar told Haaretz who they think the major players are, so let's find out what they argue about among themselves. First, let it be known that Netanyahu had the opportunity to annex Maleadumim last year. Maleadumim is only a few minutes from Jerusalem by bus. Netanyahu blocked a Knesset bill calling for Israeli sovereignty to be applied to the settlements last December. The education minister and the leader of the Habayid HaYehudi party, also known as Jewish Home, Naftali Bennett, suggests annexing Area C of the West Bank, which was divided into three areas of rule in the 1995 Oslo II Accord, to Israel, granting citizenship to the Palestinians living there and introducing autonomous Palestinian rule in areas A and B. The problem is that areas A and B are made up of numerous enclaves within Area C. If we see the West Bank as a sunny-side-up egg made of 165 individual yokes, that's the Palestinian enclaves, what Bennett suggests is to remove all the white that surrounds the yokes and just making that part of Israel. Naftali Bennett's plan is partial sovereignty. Columnist Carolyn Glick and the late Knesset member Uri Elitzer are considered the pioneers of the idea of applying Israeli sovereignty to all the territories and granting Israeli citizenship to the Palestinians. In her 2014 book, The Israeli Solution, a One-State Plan for Peace in the Middle East, Glick presents her blueprint. She would apply Israeli law to the West Bank, which would be integrated into Israel along with its Palestinian inhabitants. The plan doesn't encompass the Gaza Strip because, she argues, by withdrawing from it in 2005, Israel voided its claim to territory or sovereignty there. As for the question of citizenship for the Palestinian inhabitants of Judea and Samaria, there are two mistaken assumptions about this issue, she says. First, there's an assumption that all the Palestinians would be interested in acquiring citizenship, whereas past experience in Jerusalem and in the Golan Heights shows that there is no reason to assume this. 
Second, there's an assumption that as a whole, the Palestinians will meet the criteria for citizenship. Again, there's no reason to assume this. In my opinion, without Gaza, this too is a partial sovereignty. The Gaza land deal was made to achieve peace, but Hamas has broken the peace deal repeatedly. The land for peace deal is now null and void because of that, and the Gaza territory is once again available for Israel to occupy, in my opinion. Martin Sherman, the founder and CEO of the Israel Institute for Strategic Studies, is probably the most extreme of all the annexationists. He advocates applying Israeli sovereignty to the whole West Bank and is also the only one who wants to annex the Gaza Strip as well. Yay! He says there is no other way to ensure Israel's security militarily. And he is right. Bennett's plan sounds logical until you look at the map and then you see corridors everywhere. So sovereignty is meaningless, he says. Even if there is only a 30% Palestinian minority, it's still a recipe for Lebanonization. They're a very hostile group, he says. According to Sherman, Israel needs to act vigorously to reduce the Arab presence. How? War is the most effective way, Sherman says, because kinetic means are more acceptable, as he told the Rebenut correspondent. But if there's no war, and Sherman claims he's not calling to start one, a series of incentives is needed so they'll leave. Positive incentives, money for families that leave and negative ones, to declare them an enemy and start to gradually reduce the provision of services and goods to the Palestinians in both the West Bank and Gaza. In Sherman's view, Israel has no moral, legal, or practical obligation to maintain the socioeconomic life of an enemy that's committed to its extinction. On the contrary, its moral obligation is to bring about its collapse in order to prevent attempts to liquidate Israel and kill its citizens. Together with declaring the Palestinians a collective enemy, Israel should revoke its recognition of the PA and work to dismantle it. This is as close to what I propose as any have gotten so far. The problem is that Sherman still wants Israel just for the Jews. This does not fulfill the scriptural requirement that all of Abraham's descendants should inherit the land. However, Sherman is correct about the need for war and ridding Israel of the Palestinian terrorists. Given the choice of stopping terrorism or being deported, I believe most Palestinians would rather live in Israel as long as they have equal citizenship and representation in the Knesset and are not required to convert to Judaism. 
Mordecai Kadar of Bar Ilan University and the Begin Sadat Center for Strategic Studies has a variation that includes recognizing the Gaza Strip as a state because it possesses all of the state's attributes. Several others weighed in on this issue in the Haaretz article. Click that link to get the full story. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.